You're listening to the Relationship-Centered Learning Podcast, a podcast to inspire and empower you to be a difference maker in a dysfunctional educational system. Hear weekly from adults and students who are having a radical impact in the education space as they share from their minds and hearts, giving us practical tools that we can take back to our classrooms and campuses. Here to take you outside the educational box is author, disruptor, and your host, Kevin Curtis. Hey everyone, welcome back to the show. Before we get started with today's episode, let me formally invite you to attend or even speak at our first RCL virtual conference to be held on July 13th and 14th of 2021. If you're interested in attending or speaking at our conference, please head over to rclfirst.com and click on the RCL conference page. Now, on today's episode, I interview Mr. Mark Medley. Mark Medley is an educator, musician, and certified specialist in restorative practices. His 16 years of service in public education include experience as a self-contained behavior teacher and a behavior interventionist. Mark currently serves as the multi-tiered system of support coordinator in Bastrop ISD, where he works diligently to integrate restorative practices into each tier. He is a firm believer in the power of restorative practices to build, sustain, and heal communities. I first met Mark at one of our certified specialists in restorative practices training in Dallas, Texas. He shared not only his passion for restorative practices, but a song he had written titled One Minute. That song resonated with myself and my team, and we joined forces to create a music video to bring it to life. I hope that you'll stick around at the end of the podcast to not only listen to the song, but hopefully hear the words and check out the video that will put a vision with Mark's voice. Hey, thanks for tuning in. Let's get started. Welcome to the Relationship Center Learning Podcast, where we put relationships at the center of all learning. I am excited today to have a friend and a colleague. Hey, Mark Medley, welcome to the show, Mark. Thank you so much for having me, Kevin. I'm really excited to be here. Absolutely. Hey, Mark. So just like every episode, just like in the classroom, connections before content, we start off with the GTKY flip five. So I'm going to ask you five GTKY questions. You can flip five back at me, and then we'll just uh, jump into today's episode. So simple question number one, Mark, if you weren't going to be in education, what would you be doing? I would be making music. And I, but I just to describe that a little bit, I would be making music, but I really, I would be doing it at home. My, my club days are behind me. Okay. My, my hitting the clubs and playing the shows are behind me, man. I would really love to just be at home with my laptop making beats for podcasts and for movies and all that kind of stuff would be a dream for me. Awesome. You know, I would tell people if I could, wouldn't do this, I would open a youth like outdoor facility where they could learn hunting and fishing and just like really outdoor kind of ethics and skills. I love teaching youth, but I think I would love to transfer it to the outdoors and, you know, get on a ranch and where they can teach to fish to hunt and all that kind of just stuff like that would be, it's so crazy is I bought a hat called Young Bucks and Does when I was in my 20s. And I was like, that's going to be my first business and uh, never came to fruition. But it, that's uh, to me is if I could transition to do something like that, that's what I would want to do. That's awesome. Yeah. All right. Question number two. Simple question. Hey, I don't even think I've ever asked you this. What's your favorite color? My favorite color? Yeah. I'm wearing it right now is blue. 
Okay, so mine obviously is blue. Not I say that because I've talked about it, but the background's blue. My room growing up, I was at a high school that was royal blue. So my high school, my room through high school was actually painted. The walls were painted royal blue. Now I look back at it and kind of whatever. But yeah, blue, blue for me too. Yeah, blue for some reason for me, just because I remember uh, somebody telling me once when I was really young that when I wear blue, it brings out blue in my eyes. So oh. I was like, oh, okay, all right, I'll rock some blue. <laughs> oh, yeah, there you go. Start, And I've heard that too, so that's another good yeah. thing to think about it. All right, do you have a favorite number? And if you do, what's it associated with? My favorite number is nine. Okay. And so there's a couple of reasons for that. One is I just think that it's a cool number because if you take any multiple of nine, like nine times three is 27, right? Uh-huh. And then you take the two and the seven and add them together. Oh, that makes nine. Gotcha. And you can just keep doing that. Okay. Like nine times anything. And then you can take those numbers, add them together. It's nine. And I just think that that is a, a super cool thing. But I also, you know, that I have like a, a yoga background. And so nine is considered to be a very sacred number. And 108 is a multiple of nine. And so there's a lot of, you know, history behind why that number is so special and meaningful. But I really just, I really like that, that it it just keeps doing that little tricky thing. That pattern. Yeah, Yeah, that pattern. I just like patterns. But what's your favorite number? uh, 12. So my birthday's at 12. Uh, My number in high school is at 12. 12 disciples. There's a lot of 12s. Mm-hmm. I don't know. It just, it, it 12 has just been that number for me. Like you said, started with my birthday, I think, but ultimately Roger Staubach was 12 for the Cowboys. So therefore I was a quarterback. I wanted to be 12. So just, I don't know, through my life, I've just pulled that thread of 12. I don't have a pattern. It's more of just uh, something that really has resonated with me. And again, I think it really started with my birthday. All right. Question number four. I know you travel quite a bit. So I want you to think about where out of all the places you've traveled and camped and hung out, what's your favorite place? What would be one of your top? I know it's what was one of your top ones that's come to the top. Yeah. Yeah. No. So I would have to say Bali was one of my favorite places. Now I lived in Hawaii. So I would just say Hawaii, but I lived there. That wasn't like a vacation. Like if you, you know, man, if I could just hop on a plane and just transport myself back to Hawaii right now, that's where I would be. But while I was living in Hawaii, I got an opportunity to travel to Bali. And it was just really amazing. The food, the culture, the the nature was a great experience. Okay. Now we, we discovered this question last week or so. And we, and I think Elizabeth Tennant or Moss now posted it on Facebook and she, she didn't take credit for it, but I loved it so much. I'm going to throw it at you, Mark. So if there was a Mark Medley action figure, what two accessories would come with it? Oh, that's a great question. Is it not? I am. So first of all, yes, I'm writing that down. Totally <laughs> stealing that. That's why, that's why I'm putting, that's why I'm like, that's a great question. Yeah. Well, for sure. It's going to have the little action figure is going to come with a guitar. Right. And then I and then I think he would have to have a microphone too. That's that's funny. So I said a golf club and a microphone because uh, it's obviously uh, for people. I'm not into musician, but I have really thoroughly enjoyed the microphone to use to connect with people during this time. And I feel like relevance, 
you know, if I'm, if I'm not on the podcast and I'm able to, and I'm healthy, you know, golf is just, a, it's like your yoga for you. I really, it's therapeutic. It, it can be challenging, but it's so therapeutic to just be outdoors and to clear your mind. And, 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 you know, it's, it's a very humbling sport where you can hit one shot. Great. And then the next one you suck at it. And you're just like, how did I do that one? And then this one and, and like back to back, but yeah. So golf club and a microphone would be for me. So that, so no, man, I wanted you to share that question. Cause I, we talked about it while we were working and everybody was like, Ooh, Ooh yeah. yeah, those one of, that's one of those GTKY questions where like, yeah. okay, that's a really good one. Wow. When you do this work, you become a connoisseur of oh. questions. Oh, well, so, okay. I like that. A connoisseur of questions because that's exact. I mean, when I'm, I'm on Facebook and, you know, whether it be a meme or something, I'm like, Ooh, there's a good question. I take a snap. I take a screenshot or save the picture of it because, yeah. you know, and, and, and just to give you another one, and not that you have to answer this one, but like I saw this one, it said, if you knew you're, you were going to lose your hearing, it's a little deeper one, mm -hmm. but if you knew you were going to lose your hearing, what would be the last two things you would want to hear? You know, wow. that kind of question, right? Yeah, and then it said, if you could, and then if, you know, like it, uh, another one, I'm just throwing out some GTKY questions for our listeners. Another one I saw was, if you could not people like lost items if you could go back and open up like a big old trunk of all the items you've ever lost what would be like one item that you would want in there that you're like oh my god i wish i could find this right so those are yeah. those are simple some good questions that i've seen on social media that i'm like i'm stealing just like any good educator sure. but i'm but i'm with you i'm a connoisseur of good questions so mark yeah. hit me back with five but let's, let's all right. keep going here we go mr curtis so if you could snap your fingers and just immediately acquire a new skill or talent at the snap of a finger, what would that skill? I want to play a musical instrument, Mark. I mean, uh, and the reason I say that is not because you're in me. No, I, 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 I took piano for a short time, maybe a year. I maybe in seventh grade, I think I played saxophone for a few weeks. Maybe I thought it was sexy and it would get me like seventh grade girls, but I've really never I, I've been like always intrigued, like play the drums or play the guitar or the piano or mm -hmm. something. I'm like, I want to learn a musical instrument. So yes, that would be cool. easily number one. Absolutely. Yeah. I'd be, I would be speaking Spanish at the snap of a finger if I could. That would be number two. Cause I clipped out of nine hours and then you, if you don't use it, you lose it. Yeah. Like I, I, our, our foreign language, right? Yeah. I would yeah. Def, that, that would be right yeah. behind a musical instrument for me. Yeah, for sure. All right. So we're on, we're on your podcast today. And so I, and I, you know, I listen to some podcasts whenever I get a chance. What is your favorite podcast or one that you're listening to right now that you're really into? Um, good question. I listen to quite a bit and I don't want to disrespect anybody. So if I pull up and I'm looking at, I listen to, it, it really depends on the mood that I'm in. Right. Yeah. So sometimes that's, what's crazy. Sometimes it's hunting. <laughs> mm. Um, but I will tell you, I would say Brene Brown unlocking us is probably, I would, I would say out of all the ones I listened to that one more just because I find crossovers for me personally and which lead to professionally. So in the work that we do, you know, and I've, I've used her quote of, you know, during leader, I'm not trying to be right, but I'm trying to get it right. And I've uh -huh. used that in my life as a motto and I've used that in business. And so I would say Brene Brown Unlocking Us has probably been the biggest profound podcast that I listen to on a regular basis. Awesome. I'm just getting into that one. So yeah, that's, that's awesome. That's good to hear. 
Okay. So this question came out of something that you said when we were talking beforehand. And um, I, I have a puppy. I have a, a new puppy. She just turned seven months old. And I know that you have dogs. So here's the question. Dogs allowed in the bed or not? So interesting <laughs> you say that. So I grew up Oh, most of my adult life from my 20s until just the last four, four years or so with miniature schnauzers. And they don't shed as much. And they're, they're a great breed. I love them. And so mm -hmm. when I had miniature schnauzers in the bed, I mean, I yeah. didn't even really think about it. Yeah. One thing that I did not think through <laughs> Australian shepherds particularly one with white and black and then black and white and brown and white, they're shedders. And I attempted, I use that term. I attempted to put a sheet on the bed. I attempted whatever. And then I'm just like, I can't do it. Like it, uh -huh. I have, this is the first breed since I grew up. Now I grew up with a spitz, like those white spits uh almost like a husky type but all white so let me just say i grew up with shedders and i remember my mm. parents always having dog hair on the couch or you know whatever we would right. clean it up right and so i haven't had a shedder dog in a long time and now not regretting my dogs i love them but when it comes to the bed i, I now maybe in my old age too i'm just like no 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 like yeah. you can lay on the floor i would love to have you in the bed because i do yeah. miss my schnauzers in that part but no mm. um the dog hair the shedder is too much I literally have rollers all around the bedrooms and just, just whether it's my clothes or the bed, if it yeah. jumps up in the air, I got air filters to collect dog hair. <laughs> I feel like sometimes I can grow, no. I could grow something. So typically yes, but for these dogs, no, sorry. Long okay. answer to that one. But. No, no, I'm with you on that. Yeah. Our little Tulsi has, is a poodle mix. So she's little and she kind of also does that thing where she doesn't shed really. So, yeah. So she's in the bed. All yeah. Around. Okay. And now, Valentine's Day is coming up around the corner. Right. So just just curious, is it dine out or is it cooking a meal at home? You know, that's a great question. And the reason I say that is because of where we're at kind of uh -huh. still in the pandemic, uh -huh. I would have no problem with the dine-in, cooking, yeah. doing that type of thing right now. The hard part, Mark, is, is, is we're looking at the other night on a Friday night coming back. It's like the way restaurants, I mean, here's the answer to the question. I dine out. If yeah. I could, if I could, if, if here's could. the deal. If I could, and that's right. why I joke, I was coming in town and you know, where I live over here that like, if it's Friday night at like six or between six or seven, there's lines out the doors. I mean, people yeah. wanting to still, you know, or that feel safe getting into restaurants. Yeah. It is, it is like, if you, it's hard. And so mm -hmm. that's why I just say, I think I would love to dine out, but I think ultimately just because of the popularity of the day and everything else, yeah. it may be one of those things where you just suck it up and, um, but I have no problem cooking a really nice meal too. So yeah. I think, but, but there is this part of me that just doesn't want to cook as much as I used to, because we're yeah. always cooking now. It seems like right. the pandemic is, you know, you're inside, you're cooking a lot more. Eating out is, is not as easy as it was. And so, yeah, sorry. That was a yeah. twisty answer no. to that, but yeah, no, that's yeah. where I'm stuck at. Yeah. This will be a good year for some green chef or some blue apron, something kind of, okay. you know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. Well, and I, yeah. and I also <laughs> think I struggle because I live on the outskirts of town. I have no food delivery here. Oh man. Yeah. I have grocery delivery, 
but there's only one restaurant in my little area oh. that delivers. It's called Wicked Pizza. So it's if it's mm. not pizza and wings, I gotta go get it. Right. So right. I don't have Grubhub. I, I don't yeah. have. Um, oh man. Yeah. We wouldn't so, have made it. We wouldn't have made it this last year. <laughs> I know. So that's what I'm trying to say is like I think my situations where I I have to go get food. Yeah. Or cook it like it doesn't okay. really get brought to me very often. Okay. Well, I got this is my last question. Yeah. And it's a little bit just for your listeners. I yeah. know it's going to be a little bit of an inside joke. You got it. But here is what I have to know. And I saved it for last. <laughs> Kevin Curtis, the, you know, we've had the shutdown, we've had everything else going on with mm-hmm. all of that happening. Have you yet watched an episode of Game of Thrones? Okay. So yes. So, so what's crazy is, is I actually was introduced into Game of Thrones before all of this went down. Okay. And I, but I wasn't one of those, like, so I had to catch up. I caught up everything before the last season launched the last one. So I was able to, I guess the blessing, I was able to watch it all and then, mm. then I waited a little bit and then got the last season. So yeah, no, I was not a GOT person before that. And mm. to be honest with you, I think I watched the first two to three and I was like, ah. and, and then it drew me in and then it drew me into where I was yeah. like, I'm like, oh my God, they killed that person. How, like, right. that's a key character. I'm like, this, yeah. who kills off key characters, right? Not doing yeah. any spoilers for people that don't, but it was yeah. just, yeah. So next, you know, I was like, they could kill anybody on this show. Yeah, it, no, yeah. I know. So it really drew me in. So no, that's throw, good to hear. Yeah. So did you watch any Tiger King? During oh, the- absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. We <laughs> you went down that. that rabbit hole. We went down that rabbit hole and back out again. And can't say that I'm better off for it, but <laughs> <laughs> I definitely watched that. Yeah. Well, I just thought that was one of the pandemic ones that hit right about the time where everybody yeah. was like, "What do you watch?" And everybody's like, "You gotta watch Tiger King." And then I was Tiger like. King. And then I'm like, did I just watch all that? And then I'm like, they're having a follow-up special. I'm like, yeah, I need to watch that. <laughs> uh, and I, no shame in that because, yep, we watched the follow-up special too. And I was like, yeah, I did. I did watch the follow-up. I did that. I'll so, have to admit it. Yeah. Oh, Mark. Well, that was fun. Hey, guys, that is our Connections Before Content, GTKY part of the show. So just like Mark and I had, you can have this in the classroom. If you want to do GTKY, if you want to know more about GTKY questions or get some of those examples, head over to rclfirst.com. Click on the orange link to the 28 GTKY questions. You can also join our weekly circles with Denise Holiday or join our brand new Facebook group, uh, Relationship Center Learning. So there's three opportunities, three call to actions. Just head over to rclfirst.com. All right. So Ooh, that's part of the way. Hello, Mark. Let's, I know you, you know me, but let's introduce you just a quick intro so our listeners get a quick idea of who you are and what you're doing in education today. All right. So I am the multi-tiered systems of support coordinator, the MTSS coordinator in Bastrop ISD. And Bastrop is located right outside of Austin, just about 30 miles east of Weird is what Bastrop likes to say. Austin's got their little keep Austin weird and Bastrop likes to say just east of weird. Just east of weird. Yeah. Well, you know, Mark, I think in education, again, that's how our past kind of collided and converged in realizing our passion for students and connections and just helping students be successful. Obviously, all pre-pandemic and realizing that there was a lot of work to be 
needed, but particularly with teachers and with students. And so when you look at MTSS and you look at all the things uh, for some of us that don't understand MTSS, I mean, you have a lot that when I hear that I see or experience looking at, you have a lot on your plate. Would you agree with kind of that when you look at multi-tier systems? I would agree with that. I would definitely agree with that. So you don't, what all do you kind of support just to give an idea for our listeners? Yeah, I love this question. And so, and I can actually, you know, I can, I can share this with you at a, at a later time, Kevin, because we use a, a graphic, a visual okay. of, we call it our MTSS umbrella. Okay. And so definitely within that, you know, we have the tiers, but we like to also conceptualize it as an umbrella. And on that umbrella, we, we start with at the very top of it, we start with everything that's going to come after it needs to be trauma informed. Okay. So we start with that understanding that trauma has an impact on a large number of the students that we're working with in our district. And then within our umbrella, each piece of it is social emotional learning. So I have a hand in, in that in the district. It also includes PBIS, so positive behavior interventions and supports. It also includes RTI, so academic and behavior uh, response to intervention. And then the last thing, last but certainly not least on our umbrella, is restorative practices. Gotcha. So what, but I, so when you got those things, what you're saying is, but we enter all of those arenas with a leading mindset of understanding trauma informed, you know, a trauma informed brain to look into those areas as you go through them. So you pull through, pull trauma through them. So do you feel, and I'm, I'm sure you, I shouldn't even ask it that way. How have you experienced or how has the pandemic allowed you to, has it really brought trauma more to the forefront than it was prior to the pandemic in those areas? I mean, are you seeing more uh, you already knew it. That's what sorry, guess that's what I'm trying to say. You already knew trauma was is at the was at the mm-hmm. forefront of a lot of these areas, but I, I'm I don't want to make the assumption. But what are some examples of or how are you seeing trauma really coming more and being impactful now based on the pandemic than it was prior to the pandemic? Yeah. So I think one of the things that stands out to me is that we now have this experience where a lot of the educators and the leaders that I'm working with, we have this understanding that we are now experiencing together a collective trauma. Okay. So it has brought it more to the forefront. And what I have found is that because people have this new understanding of what trauma is, because really they're experiencing it for themselves, they are in, in their homes with students who you know couldn't go to school for a time or who might not be able to go to school now and they're seeing these effects more firsthand. So there is a, a, a increased level of understanding and an increased level of receptivity to strategies that can help create safe spaces in our classrooms coming from that trauma-informed perspective. Gotcha. Well, and, and I think, to, to kind of put it in my verbiage, that's when uh, through some of the podcasts, you know, what I've said is, is, okay, we're, you know, and let's just use my lane, relationships, connections, mm-hmm. restorative practices, right? 
we understand how they all kind of shape each other. Because as you said, you know, it's kind of a Venn diagram, you know, PBIS, because we've worked with districts that have PBIS. And we're like, how does PBIS and restorative work together hand in hand? How does social emotional learning and restorative uh-huh. practice? So they all kind of work as, as in conjunction with each other. But the overall frame around it, not using it as trauma, what if we, for my purposes, just framed it around relationships and connections for a second? Hence the Relationship Center Learning Podcast, right? So yeah. if we look at it with an RCL lens, what I'm what I'm experiencing by conversations more than being in schools, because we're not really allowed to physically be in schools, is I'm hearing, as you said, okay, relationships were very difficult to get to the forefront or to the center mm-hmm. because of all the other things that were in the way. The pandemic has kind of cleared a path right? It wasn't a pretty path. It came in and it's cleared this path. And I like the words that you use. Now I feel like the, there are some, there are an increased a group of educators that are now more receptive yeah. to one, the value of relationships and connections. And two, as you mentioned, strategies to be able to support that. So when I say it that yes. way, does that are you also seeing that or experiencing kind of that same parallel vision of or experience of what you with? Oh, what, absolutely. That's definitely been my experience, you know, especially starting off this school year in this position. So one of the things that I was really I was asked for, and it was kind of, you know, my first experience of people really, really asking me, so what is the plan for SEL? when we start school this year. And just to kind of give you some context and just a little bit of a frame of reference, in Bastrop, we started our our first two weeks of school were completely virtual. And then we allowed 50% of our students back on campus and we increased that to 75 and then to 100. So our first two weeks, 100% virtual. But what we had, what they allowed me to develop and what we had available to every teacher was basically a relationship toolkit. We we called it SEL for the first 14, but Kevin, basically what it was, was, you know, similar to what you and I did with GTKY at the top of this podcast. It was a question every day provided to the teachers, just a simple icebreaker question. Right. And what we said was, don't jump straight into your, your social emotional learning curriculum. Mm-hmm. Don't, don't jump straight into the curriculum. We're going to give you the space to just build the relationships using some really low level icebreaker questions to help you build that sense of community in your in your classroom. And then we're gonna give you the tools to go a little bit deeper when your students are ready to do that. And I will tell you that um, one of the things that really just touched me and spoke to me was um, our communications department went out during those first two weeks and they, they captured some videos of uh-huh. teachers sitting alone in their classrooms, teaching from, you know, their laptops for the first time. For many of them, this was like, you know, obviously we did it last spring, but this was the start of the year. It's the first time people have really experienced a start to the school year this way. But in those videos, you see teachers using those questions with their students. Mm -hmm. Just simple questions, hamburger or hot dog? You know, what is your favorite color? Would you rather play with a puppy or play with a kitten, just those little things. And the feedback that we got from our teachers was, thank you so much for that. It seemed so simple, but it's been my favorite part of the day. And it really helped set the stage for 
building those relationships for my students when they came back into the campus and even for the students that remained online, we feel connected. Well, and thank you for sharing that. And, and I think what you and I know just from our experience of working in schools and doing this work, we, we already knew the value of those simple strategies, but yet in the past, prior to the pandemic, at times they just seem to be either overlooked as whimsical or, you know, just uh, elementary-ish or kumbaya-ish, or, you know, we've heard all of the, the terms. And it's very interesting because now for, and I'm just being honest, for the first time, some of those simple, whimsical kumbaya strategies are now seeing, are being legitimized because what those teachers are being given, as you've pointed out, Mark, through your guidance and with the leadership of the campus and, and there are people that are supporting you in the district, you've given them a formula, you've given them a plan of success, and you've given them a vision. And much like we were talking about earlier about like, you know, um, make sure your message is, is so clear that it can't mis be misunderstood. And I think you've heard me say this, you know, power and permission. So I'm going to have to infer that as you walked your district through this with support through leadership, that there was permission to say, hey, we want you and expect you to take this time coming back to do that. So am I correct in saying that, Mark, that there was some permission given for those teachers? Because some teachers without that permission may have either overlooked it or have said, they say it, but do they really mean it? I mean, do you can you break that down a little yeah. bit with some conversation? Oh, I'm definitely with you. And, and you know, there's power and permission is something that I, I do, you know, talk to a lot of the leadership in our district about. And that's this is definitely one of those areas. And we didn't, you know, it's just we didn't get any pushback on that. Administrators were were on board with it and they did. We, they, we were able to let teachers know anytime we got the opportunity to let them know that, hey, we're not only just providing you these resources, we're going to provide you the time and it's going to be okay if the administrator pops into your room or pops into your virtual classroom and you are talking about Cheetos. It's going to be okay. And that has been the case, you know, by and large, because teachers, like I said, teachers are, they're seeing the value in it. You used the word legitimized, which I love. They're embracing it, but they're also really starting to see the impact. And it is unfortunate, you know, kind of what you're alluding to is that uh, prior to this, certainly we would get pushback on anything that we wanted to put into a put into place in a classroom that wasn't directly related to academics. And that is just that's just the nature of it because teachers have a lot on their plate. But what was really great was that. By and large, you know, from my experience, teachers didn't see this as one more thing on the plate mm -hmm. for the first two weeks. They really saw this as the plate. The plate. Yeah. Like, this is the plate. I, we, you know, one of those quotes, uh, you know, uh, discipline is best served on a plate of relationships, right? You yeah. know, you, you reduce you reduce the behaviors and you increase the connections. It's a, it's, mm -hmm. it's, it's a two for one, right? Like uh, I, I, it's interesting, Mark, because one of the ahas for me 
is when I first started this work in towards the beginning when our past met, everything that I was being asked to do from based on my experiences at Ed White and through TEA and UT was to help solve a problem, particularly for alternative assisted pensions for black and brown students, right? Like Kevin has the experience of reducing suspension. So he is a problem solver. And so at the beginning of this career, I call it leaving education and getting into the space. It was, you, if you call me, I'm your ghostbusters, right? Like I'm your alternatives to suspension guy. I'm going to help you there. But then I noticed that through community building and then us like modifying and coming up with other tools than community building circles, the 60 second relate break, the two minute connection, the spark, all of a sudden, Mark, we were fringing on the proactiveness versus the uh -huh. responsive. Uh -huh. And then I, you know, I don't, I, I can't analyze and go back on a graph to where it shifted, but I had reached out. I had made a reflection at one of our meetings one time and I asked Sarah, and for people who don't know, Sarah is our, a teacher who now works with us that is our assistant. She's like the central hub and she books all of our trainings now. I said, Sarah, if you had to guesstimate how many of our trainings now, five years later, are more proactive than responsive. And for us, more green versus red or now gray, right? And she was like, oh, easily, like 90% of the trainings or more, probably 90 uh, yeah. than 95 are now being, we're being called back to do more proactive trainings than putting out fires. And I said, okay, now one, I didn't, and I'm going to be very honest, people, I didn't intentionally make that a strategy as a consultant or as a business. We literally went, we, you know, water, what I always say, this is a science teacher, liquid takes the shape of their container. We just took the shape of whatever schools were asking us to do. But we obviously started to realize we're really good at doing the proactive piece because when you get return work on anything else, Mark, be like music, right? If you're mm -hmm. really getting called for that song, that song's really popular. We were getting our hits and our hits were green, these tools. So it was interesting. The reason I'm, I'm kind of going with this question is, is it's, it's so enlightening for some people, particularly now, that they're like, holy cow, the, the, the the biggest experience bang for our buck in when we look at professional development and strategies is actually not how to respond to the behavior it's how to even prevent the behavior from even beginning which is when they look at it now for the first time they're like oh the formula is you know improving connections meeting the student's social emotional needs and then understanding it with a trauma lens so when you see that are you seeing that trend too start to like like ahas clicking on for some educators because you know not only are you in Bastrop but like you said you're on Panorama and you're talking to educators across the country in hundreds so I mean when you hear these conversations are you seeing some of those light bulbs coming on for them for the first time or I definitely am seeing those light bulbs um, for sure where people are starting to realize that the focus of of professional development the time and energy that you're going to put the resources that you're going to put towards training something people are really starting to see that the responsive you know certainly there's a place for that certainly there's a need to have people in your dis district who are trained to respond to difficult situations and challenging behaviors but the light bulbs that i'm seeing are that we're really getting more for our money when we put the focus and the emphasis on those proactive responsive strategies and i will just tell you you know i i it's i almost don't even want to speak it out loud kevin but um 
we've looked at our discipline for first semester. You know, we've looked at that and things are looking up. You know, like I definitely don't want to speak too soon. I'm like, I said, you, you know how you like don't want to utter that in I'm January. Knocking. There's no knock. Yes. I'm not going to wood. I got you. It's, it's almost February. And so it's like, okay, let's hold on. But, but we, you know, we have looked at some things and, and we've, of course, we've factored in, um, you know, the pandemic and the, and this, the number of students who are on campus versus off of the campus. But what we really are starting to see is, wow. When we shift our focus and really be intentional about giving teachers the training and the tools to to build these relationships, we're seeing an impact in the classroom that has an impact on the front office because there's less kids in there for referrals. And I think that that is, you know, something that I that that I want to kind of just come back to really quick is that the training for the teachers and the tools for the teachers, because relationships is something people take for granted that everyone just has the skills to build relationships. Oh, amen. And it's not, it is, it is certain there is, there's a lot to it. You know, I mean, I'm, I'll tell you, I'm coming up on my 42nd birthday and I'm still learning a lot about building relationships, maintaining relationships, and it does not come naturally to people and so we need to, we owe it to our teachers that if they struggle in that area, we provide them with some professional development and some really simple tools. So that's what, you know, that's why I love what, what any, any DRP does. The tools are simple. They're streamlined. It's easy to use. And so that's what I gave teachers, you know, at the beginning of this year was just when I say light icebreaker questions, that's what we're talking about one gtky question a day right let's just start there but they needed it they needed the tool and they needed to know how to how to do it yeah no i I, as i reflect too and start to grow and again i'm going to give you a couple highlights because i know you haven't really been able to listen to a lot of these podcasts so some of the nuggets that i've been able to pull mark that you and i have not been able to share i'll just share on the air again for people to hear so in the first episode joe beckman talks about and he was our keynote at the last in one of the keynotes at the live live person conference you know he had just said kind of what you had just alluded to he said kevin you realize like not everybody is comfortable and he said vulnerable and he, and, and he said, we almost need another word for vulnerable because vulnerable for some people is like the word moist, you know, it's like, mm-hmm. mm. and so he said, how about ordinary? And I said, okay. And he said, well, so Kevin, some teachers are not comfortable being ordinary because they either one, that's just not how it's not in their DNA Two, they came into education, not being taught how to be ordinary. It wasn't modeled for them. So as you mentioned, And he said, and then with the pressures of education put on teachers in general and leaders, he said, sometimes we're pushed to be so extraordinary that we forget it's when we're ordinary when we make the strongest connections. Uh And then there's another gentleman I just had, and I just had him on the podcast. He doesn't release until March also, but Dave Stewart Jr. And Dave Stewart Jr., if you, you, you check him out, Mark, he calls, he's a high school teacher. And it's just Dave Stewart, Jr. Junior.com. He blogs and does some things, Mark, but give him a shout out. But he says, I was listening to him on the Cult of Pedagogy podcast, and mm-hmm. he talks about MGCs, moments of genuine connection. Mm-hmm. So 
when I heard him talking about it, what he is an MGC is what we're, we're trying to get when we cross connect right with kids. But what was enlightening when I brought him on the podcast is, is he's more focused on the MGC between him and the student. Mm-hmm. And I think what, what light bulb came on for him is when on our cross connect model, what about student to student and then student to you? And I think that was a, it opened his brain to understand there's the MGC concept moments of genuine connection can be expanded beyond just me yeah. and the student, but he tracks it, Mark. He takes his roster of 150 kids and he says, okay, who, who can I use a GTKY question today on a before class personal, whatever. And then he tracks that so that he makes as many MGCs virtually or personally with his kids. The reason I say this Mark is because when we look at how to be ordinary Joe, go back full circle to Joe Beckman. He said this and check this out. He said he teaches this strategy. We talk about strategies for teachers and it's an acronym Ford, F-O-R-D, like the vehicle. So, oh, did you hear this one? Or did I share this one with you? I'm sorry if I did, but family, yeah. he, he says, get your teachers to either talk about their family, occupation, recreation, or dream. And so when he said Ford, I'm like, oh my God, that is a brilliant way as a simple strategy, because some people say, oh, do a, a visual board or like a PowerPoint of yourself, and they're still not comfortable, right? So as you mentioned, you could simply say, hey, teachers, today, I want you to start off with class, not, not being extraordinary yet, I want you to be ordinary. And during the ordinary moment of genuine connection, during our MGC, you see how the vocabulary is kind of fitting? Yeah. Mm-hmm. During the, we want to accomplish an MGC at the beginning of class. And today your MGC, is, is, you know, your task, your strategy is to share something either about your family, occupation, or recreation, or a dream, right? So when we give them, as you said, teachers want to be, they just want to be told what to do. So when I talk about it and you see, if this mirrors what you did, you gave them strategies, you gave them the tool. When I, when I put all that in framework, what are your thoughts about that ordinary versus extraordinary MGCs? I see it, to me, it follows kind of the path that you gave Bastrop and the teachers kind of a plan of success. Would you agree or, or how do you feel it shapes? Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I think what stands out to me when you, when we talked, we talk about extraordinary versus ordinary, what comes to mind for me, Kevin, is how, much I saw our teachers really pushing themselves and being very, very hard on themselves to be extraordinary. Amen. So yes, like, no, because, because it wasn't no one was really asking them to do that. And that's the thing with great teachers that you don't have to ask them to do that. They're just, they're just going to do it. But what what they needed was that permission, again, just the power of permission to just say, hey, guys, your your best today is going to be good enough and you it it is those ordinary moments of genuine connection that you make with your students and it doesn't have to be uh you know a big grandiose display it can just be something that literally takes less than 30 seconds for you to tell your kids to tell the kids in your class uh-huh. about your kid at home about put up a picture of your dog and just talk to them about that dog for 20 seconds. Right. It's just a genuine, you know, moment of connection. And really Kevin, as you were talking to me um, about it, uh, this memory popped into my mind and just for your listeners who don't know. So, um, you know, I, I still consider myself to be part of the NEDRP family. Absolutely. There was, there was this moment, there was a moment where I was getting to do a lot of work with you guys and do a lot of traveling with you guys 
in my slightly younger days when I could do all that traveling. But there was a there was a, a training that you sent me to uh, to lead, Kevin. And I was I was working with this group of teachers, and a teacher raised his hand. Uh, we were just talking about GTKY questions. He raised his hand, and he said, "Hey, is this whole thing?" just going to be about building relationships with kids. And I said, for today, for the most part, yeah, I mean, you pretty much got it. And he, he put his hand on his packet, on his, you know, his packet that I had provided him, and he pushed it away from him on the table. He pushed it away and he said, I don't need this. I'm good at building relationships with my kids. And it just, the words just came straight to me. And I said, yes, sir. I'm glad to hear you say that but does your ability to build relationships with your students transfer by osmosis to your students? Is your skill their skill? Because you're connecting with them, but are they connecting with each other? And are teachers on your campus getting to learn what you do to build those relationships with your students? Because that's, that's what we're talking about today. Because those, those skills, even for our teachers, like we've talked about teachers who don't necessarily have those skills inherent and they need some help with it. And then we have those teachers who do have those skills and then they think they don't need a tool. And I would say again, your ability to build relationships is not the same as your students' abilities. So your job then becomes to be a facilitator to be a space creator for those relationships to happen and for them to start to form. And then for you to be a model for your colleagues that do struggle. It's so funny you said that, Mark, because I think all of us at one time when we were leading some type of training, I think there's at least one or more people that do realize in some form or fashion, we're bringing, yes, we're going to teach you how to build relationships with kids. And whether they push their packet, whether they cross their arms, whether they literally come up and tell me, now I've never had someone say it in the middle of it, but I've had people come up at a break and go, you know, I'm really good at building relationships, right? So like, I guess they're telling me, like, if I check out, you'll completely understand. And as we started to see that pattern, what I started to remind them, which is exactly what you did, and I didn't even know about this conversation, as I said, okay, but do you cross connect? So for our, our our listeners, cross connect for us is there's three outcomes that we look at when we want to build community and sustain community. That's teacher to student, student to teacher, and student to student. And so I had a, in fact, it was Pflugerville. I had a gentleman, same thing. Hey, you know, Kevin, I'm really good at that. I'm really, and this is how they always say it. I really enjoy it today. I really like this, you know, but I'm really good at this. And I'm like, oh man, that's awesome. You know, I'm like, then I'm either affirming you or confirming you. But remember, I'm not trying to convert you or convince you today. I'm just trying to educate you, motivate you. And I said, but I have a question for you. And then Mark, I actually started doing this at trainings. I would say, but this, let's go with one conversation. I said, so share with me, what's like, what's your biggest strategy, your go-to, and I say, hey, how are you going to build relationships with kids? I think, I don't know if I told you this one, you're shaking your head, but he said, oh, I do the brown bag activity. And I said, okay, so describe the brown bag activity. He's like, you know, kids bring an object. It's like show and tell. They bring an object or two and they put them in the bag. And then when they start unpacking them, we learn about the kids. I said, okay, great. I love it, right? Here's the deal. I said, so I'm going to make the assumption when you do the brown bag activity that when the kids pulling the objects out of the brown bag, that the kids are learning about each other. He said, absolutely. I said, 
that's awesome, man. I'm going to make an assumption too, that you're paying attention to when the students are unpacking the bag. And so, you know, you're learning about the students. I said, he said, absolutely. I said, so last question I have for you. Uh, do you do a brown bag yourself? And he was like, no. And I said, no, I said, no, it's not a criticism. I said, but if you ever Google and I turned it into a slide now, Mark, I actually mm. use this as a, as a con teaching part piece, right? I say, I show a big X and I'm like 90% of the teachers that do the brown bag activity, when I ask them, don't do a brown bag because the brown bag activity doesn't explicitly tell you as an educator directly to do a brown bag. Now, if you're in that teacher in the mindset that you're like, why wouldn't I do a brown bag? I'm part of the community. You're, you're thinking a little bit different and you are those people that are probably in the cream of, you know, I call them the 10 to 15 percenters, right? So I told him, I said, sir, all I'm asking you is, is you go back and you continue these strategies that you have found successful. Would you do me one favor? Would you always look, as you've pointed out, Mark, how are you increasing the ability for them to connect? And then also, what about you connecting with them? You, we tend to leave ourselves out of the community because we're, it's, we're not inherently taught. And so I, I, I love you, the illustration of what you're talking about because I think for some educators, that's what they have this mindset that I already do this and I already know how to do this. So therefore, I really don't need today. And all I tell them is, is then the strategies that we're giving you, they can either enhance challenge you, affirm you, confirm you, but they can't hurt you. I mean, I mean, you and I are in the same message, but right. isn't it interesting that we both experience the same type of in, in typical mindset of when we try to bring a proactive approach, that's where we're kind of going with this conversation, a proactive approach, a lot of educators pre previously to the pandemic may have not been as receptive. Right. Yeah. And I think people are now way more receptive to doing some things that that are proactive. And I think that everybody, I, a lot of what I do is focused. I, you know, I mentioned that part of the MTSS umbrella does include behavior RTI. So mm -hmm. a lot of the work that I do still does involve helping teachers respond to challenging behaviors, right? Like how are we going to, how are we going to respond to challenging behaviors? What are the supports that we need to have in place for students you know, that need maybe some of that tier two stuff, right? Mm -hmm. Like that, you know, they, they need something above and beyond what we're providing. But again, what we're starting to see this year is teachers starting to make the connection between the time that they spend building relationships with their students. Mm -hmm. And then they're, they're capturing those students that have historically really exhibited challenging behaviors. They're, they're pulling them into the community of the classroom and they're seeing now they've really made the connection that, Oh, my taking the time up front to, to make these connections and learn about my students is actually resulting in decreased challenging behavior in my classroom, especially with the kids. You know, I mean, I've had a teacher tell me that they had a kid come into their class this year that they had already heard all the stories about from last year, you know, and this teacher is not somebody that would have described herself as really great at building relationships, right? She's a great teacher. Um, she's really strong in her academics piece, but she heard all of these stories about this kid and she came to me and she looked a little scared. She looked a little scared, a little intimidation, right? And then, it, you know, weeks went by, months went by and I realized I have not heard from that teacher and I have not heard 
I haven't seen that student's name come across in an email or anything. So I just checked in and she shared with me. She's like, I, I don't know what was going on with him last year, but this is a completely different kid. And I asked her, what can you attribute that to? Mm. She said, he feels safe in here with me uh, because I know him. He knows me and I know him and we talk and he feels like he's a part of our classroom community. And she attributed it directly to the time and the intention that she gives to those connection activities. Yeah. I, you know, Mark, it, it's, I mean, for you and I, the light bulb is at least clicked on, you know, and which led you back into the district. Because I think one of the things you shared with me is you're like, Kevin, like I have this great opportunity to take the trainings and leading and coaching and understanding what it's been like in other districts across the country. And then now I have an opportunity in my Austin we, you know, in the Austin weird community to go back and really help a school district shape what this could potentially look like. I mean, I think it's a, it's a fantastic platform that you jumped into. And so as you start thinking about it, what what's probably one, what, what would be one of the biggest challenges for you coming back into the, you know, not just pandemic, I'm just talking about coming back in in helping school districts from the consultant side and then actually come into a school district, what was some of the biggest challenge you experienced of, okay, I know, I know this can be effective. I've seen it impacted. I've trained in this. I've talked to this. I talked through this in multiple different school districts of different sizes. Let me, and, and we're not picking on Bastrop. So that's not where I'm going no. with this. I'm saying just in general, what was some of the things that you experienced that you were some, just some small challenges that you started to realize like for a school district? Cause the reason I this I'm doing it for the listeners. I want them to think, what yeah. are some of the things that you may be up against when you start to really start to start to focus this approach more around relationships and connections and trauma and SEL? What are some of the things that you had to tackle at first? So definitely, that's a great question. And so I think uh, the first couple that come to mind are the ones, they're classic, the classic challenges, right? Okay. When, when's the time? Like, when? when's the time? You're talking about, you know, building relationships with students. When are we going to have time to do that? Because I also have all of these teaks that I need to get through. Okay, right? so, so we got that. time. So how did you help help as a strategy shape time differently for your district? So one of the, so this one, I can't, you know, definitely uh, anything that I've talked about that we've made progress with in our district, I certainly don't take sole credit for that at all. Sure. But let me just tell you, like, so my, you know, my, my boss, who is the director of student services here, Laura Baker in Bastrop ISD is just a phenomenal leader who really believes in doing what's best for kids and student services then is able to partner with curriculum and instruction. And Dr. Lila Olivares leads that team as our associate superintendent of curriculum instruct and instruction. And I really attribute a lot of what we've been able to do to the collaboration between these two departments, where, you know, on that CNI side, she also believes in SEL and building connections and building relationships. And so when I, you know, when when I came to my director and and we, you know, we come into this collaboration and I say, hey, can we get 15 minutes? every day on the master schedule at the every elementary campus at the same time every single day right after breakfast but before we go to academics can we have 15 minutes for sel and relationship centered learning can we can we have that mm -hmm. um, and it was gigantic it was huge 
and, and teachers, that's what teachers were asking for. So right. I didn't come up with that on my own. Right. I, I asked teachers, what do you want? And that's what they wanted. That's what we advocated for. There you go. And they're so grateful to have that. Were you able to help, and I'm asking, I'm not trying to put you on the spot, were you able to help anything with the secondary schedule to try to either incorporate or implement yeah. at, the, at, the, at that more difficult, less fertile, time-consuming yeah. one? Not that elementary yeah. is, is not. No, and we were, we were able to. No, it is a different, it is a little bit of a different animal. And so just yeah. to, like at our elementary campus, we we have 15 minutes every day built into the master schedule. Right. On our secondary campuses, we have time built in for SEL uh, every week. And so okay. we're more on like an advisory kind of schedule, you know, okay. people, you know, homeroom advisory kind of thing, uh, that happens once a day. So one of the, that starts the day, you know, at most campuses. And so one of those each week is dedicated to social emotional learning. Okay. And, and so we definitely have that built into the schedule. It's less frequent than, what you have at the elementary. Uh, but really when, you know, you look at frameworks and models for doing this, if you've got a really good system in place in elementary moving to once a week for SEL and really then just kind of like weaving in the space for those quick connections and GTKY and relationships, you know, just relationship building. Mm -hmm. um, it's ample. It's really, it's been really, productive. So now we've got time for SEL from pre-K to grade 12. Nice, nice, nice. Well, brother, I mean, um, it was, I mean, was that, I think that was a really good one to tackle as far as just saying one of the things, you know, I want to, I want to, I want to make sure we, I honor your time, but as we start yeah. to, so two things I want to bring up, you, you gave us an opportunity as an introduction to panorama. Um, mm -hmm. I just want to give a shout out because you, you, you have not only been a part of our family and our team, but as you grow in your own direction, you, you have been really cognizant of the fact of the work that we do. And so, the panorama when you when you got that opportunity for those, would you just give a quick quick you know overview of what panorama and how you're using it, and then how it segue to where we you you know brought us in as an opportunity to to be part of the handbook, the restorative practices handbook? Can you kind yeah. of put a frame around that? Yeah, I can do that. Uh, so panorama, uh, it's panoramaed.com, I believe is their website, panoramaed.com. And so what they do is provide, they're a survey platform and we partner with them uh, for the past couple of years to do our SEL surveys. So our students are surveyed and our teachers are surveyed. Okay. Students get surveyed on what their what their perception is of their own skills with social emotional learning. And then students also take a survey on how supported they feel in their environment as it relates to social emotional learning. And teachers also get to take a survey that measures some of those things. And so I will just tell you real quick, because we did our fall survey. And one of the things that we found at our secondary campuses and really just as a district, we had at multiple campuses, some really great growth in gains in one specific area, Kevin, and it was in the area of teacher-student relationships. Yay. And I want to just remind everybody that this is, this is a survey that students take. So this is the students, grades three to eight, that are taking this, and their perception of their teacher-student relationships was 
8% more positive than it was this time last year. And I'm talking about when we started school the previous school year in a normal school year. Right. So what that tells us is that in the midst of everything else that we all know is going on, right. We put that emphasis on relationships. Panorama was actually a platform that allowed us to see that right in data. Like we got the data to demonstrate, hey, we're, you know, we're on the right track with this. Right. So Panorama has really been has really been great, uh, a partner for our district. Right. And I got an opportunity to be in one of their webinars and they wanted to touch a little bit on, you know, that we were talking about MTSS and we talked a little bit about restorative practices and somebody asked about one of the things we were doing. And one of the things that we, that we are just getting off the ground this year is re-entry circles. Mm -hmm. And so that's a tool that I picked up from NEDRP, very specific to how do we help a student transition from a DAP, like from a disciplinary and, you know, exclusionary discipline placement off of their home campus. How do we help them transition back to their home campus? So it's a tool that NEDRP provides. And um, we, we've got that going on this year. Um, I think we're up to maybe almost 20 now, even with the pandemic and everything right. else going on. Uh, so I shared that with Panorama and they were like, we need to know more about that tool. Well, and that's when you brought it to our attention that they were creating a restorative practices handbook, right? So let's give a shout out to the handbook because we're, you know, I want to make sure we put a link into it for the handbook because we're just a part of it. But Mm -hmm. that's what was really impressive that not only do they collect the data, but then they were putting out this handbook that you brought to our attention that they allowed us to be a part of. So just a quick shout out to the handbook, Mark. Yeah, for sure. And it's a, I know it's a free download and I'm sure, you know, if you can give people the link to that. I'll, yeah, I'll put um, the link in, the, in yeah. the show notes in that, but you don't have to be a member of Panorama. You don't have to be a district that partners with them. This is a free resource. And one of the tools it's got, I think it's got five restorative practices tools in it. And one of them is re-entry circles. So if that's something that speaks to your district or a resource that your district could use, I definitely would check that out. Awesome. All right, Mark. So as we wind down, I go back to the first time that I met you, uh, one of our three-day trainings in the Dallas Fort Worth mm-hmm. area, if I'm not yep. mistaken, right? You know, you're sitting up in there in those little bleachers, and then <laughs> we make a personal connection. Um, we actually, as a group, I call it a restorative reality house. We were doing so much training in Dallas Fort Worth there. I rented a house right down from Irving, right by the the stadium, we could walk to the baseball stadium or the football stadium. And a lot of us were staying in this house. And I remember you sent me the link to the song one minute. I can tell you, we were at the kitchen table, little tiny kitchen table in this house. And I called uh, Denise and Alan and whoever else was in the room. And I was like, Hey, you know, the guy with the beard, you know, your beard was a little shorter back then and you're a little younger, but he was like, Hey, and they were like, yeah. And I'm like, check this out. He wrote this song. And I put it on my phone and I played it for everybody. And I'll tell you, Mark, I just say this truthfully, like we were, we were all stopped. We were like, oh my God, this is incredible. Like, and then I remember coming back the next day and I was like, Hey, like, I don't know who you are, man. I want to get to know you. That was fantastic. And then do you remember I played it at the training that next day? Right. And then from that point forward, it became really almost like an anthem for us. You mm-hmm. you performed it live at our first conference. We collaborated and put a video out there. And so I know as we wrap up the show, I just want to say 
in a few minutes. Like, where did you, what was your thought process? Because mm. I know I want to be able to hear them, but I mean, just quickly wrap your brain around where that song came from and what it meant to you. And cause it was powerful for us. And for, I know for our followers that people have heard it, have loved it. So talk a little yeah. bit about that song for us. Yeah. I was working in Bastrop ISD as a behavior interventionist and you know, uh, anybody who's, who's from the behavior has a behavior background, you know, that's a challenging job. And uh, I, I'm also a musician and have been since I was very young. And so music is just something that I always do. And I sometimes I will listen, I'll, I'll make a beat and I'll just put it on maybe while I'm in the, in the truck or something, driving between campuses, just to, you know, start thinking of maybe some lyrics. And this one particular day, the first couple of lines of that song just hit me like a lightning bolt. You know, his cup was full before he got to school. Mm. And I had... I had a one particular student in my mind and but from there that the first verse of that song is really it's a it's an amalgamation of every student that i ever worked with it is an amalgamation of uh friends that i had in school mm -hmm. uh, who were <laughs> who were not treated so kindly by their peers or their teachers all of these kids came into my mind and so I really wrote that first verse. If you listen to the song, it's really for the student. And then the chorus is, you know, just one minute, just give a kid a smile for one minute and it can be the game changer for them. And I will tell you, Kevin, I sat on that first verse for so long. I didn't have a second verse. I didn't know what the second verse was going to be. Right. And I, I just, it's kind of just sat there on the shelf, wasn't really doing anything with it. And I was trying to write a second verse again for the student. And it hit me again, like a lightning bolt. That second verse needs to be for the teacher. Okay. And, and that, if you listen, go and listen to the song, you'll, you'll hear that juxtaposition of like that first piece is really for the student. And then when you shift to the teacher, I was like, teachers need, teachers need this anthem too because they work so hard and they do such magical, really, you know, it brings me back to our earlier conversation. They're extraordinary in the ordinary things that they do. And they are magical in the most simple and beautiful and inspiring ways. And they need, you know, I, I really want to dedicate this last part of the song to teachers, to all of the teachers that I work with, to all the teachers that are new and upcoming and all the teachers that have been doing this for so long. So that's really, <laughs> that's more than one minute about yeah. one minute. <laughs> well, as, as we wrap up this episode, it, it is more than ironic, Mark, that the key conversation that we've been talking about today is simple strategies, simple ideas, simple questions. And as you said, whether it's a smile or a conversation, I think the message that I want our listeners and I want educators not just to take away from your song, but from the podcast and from conversations and our tools, we're, we're, it's so simple that these things literally can take one minute. And, I, and it's so interesting that we built 60 second relate breaks, which are one minute, two minute connections. And we hadn't even crossed paths yet. And you wrote a song called One Minute. And I think the emphasis that you mentioned earlier, isn't it, it's the biggest obstacle that we run into every classroom and every school district is when they come 
okay, I see the value in this. Okay, whatever. How do I, how do, I do, where do I find the time? And it's so uh, just ironic that we're sitting here talking. The time is not an exorbitant amount. It literally can happen in one conversation, in one minute. And by listening to the song, I'm hoping that our, our listeners today will take just a few minutes to listen to the song and to realize that it is really an anthem of what we're preaching and teaching that mm. these connections and relationships and meeting students, social emotional needs and understanding the, that we all are experiencing, particularly in this, this pandemic, some type of trauma and that we all need to support each other. Mm -hmm. So, Mark, man, hey, first of all, I know your time is valuable. I know yeah. you got to get ready to go, but 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 listen, man, I want to just thank you because I think one of the things that I've really, as you said, as in our as we as older we get a little bit more mature. I think some of the things that I've appreciated are those relationships and relationships with people like you, people that we've met, people. And what I've realized is I am a better person today because I've come across people like you, like you, I, you have left a part of your DNA in me that has made me see things different. You've allowed me to experience not just this song, but your mindset. You, you've allowed me to see through Mark Medley's lens in people's POVs are what, once you can't experience another person's POV and do it personally, in other words, generally step in their shoes and really start to understand them, it should be life-changing. Like you should be changing lenses and seeing things. And to me, that's what I want to thank you for personally and professionally, man, just for, for being an impact on my life and, and continuing to being an impact in education. I am, I am so glad that you made the move that you needed to move so that you could get into a district and make a difference. Because I tell you, Mark, sometimes I'll tell you as much as I love what I do, I do miss that central grounding and, and anchoring of understanding. Are we making a difference? Because I feel sometimes we're hovering above it. And I'm so proud to know that we have somebody that is our family member and that believes in what we do and is taking that seed in, in our home state right around Austin and really helping that district grow in the areas of social emotional learning, trauma-informed practices and relationships and PBS, all the things are in there. And as, as MTSS continues to grow, I'm just, I just think that I'm really proud to know that Bastrop's got a great person to support that mindset. Oh, wow, man. I am going to just download <laughs> your podcast and whenever I'm feeling down, I'm going to take that everything you just said, and that's going to be like, put it on first thing in the morning. Cause wow, Kevin, that, that really means so much coming uh, from you, a, a leader uh, uh, educator that I respect so much. So I really appreciate those words and uh, I, I'm absorbing all of them right now. Thank you really for having me. And just, you know, so your listeners know too. I mean, like if there's a, the, a good video uh, for one minute on YouTube that you helped me create. So thank you. Like the moment that you're talking about at the CSRP, uh, when I when I did that first three day training with y'all, I mean, lit that that changed my life. It changed the the trajectory of my life, and you helped me take something that was a song sitting on my Bandcamp page 
and turn it into a beautiful video that was shot by a student, oh, by the way. Shout out Alana Cuellar. Yes. Oh my goodness. Very the very talented Alana Cuellar. So and, and you you helped you you helped me so much with that. So I really appreciate you being an advocate for me as an educator, but for me as a musician and for me as a restorative practitioner. So yeah, and I'm I'm really I'm as we sit here today, I am just so excited to see what's going to what's going to be our conversation when we talk again in a month, in 3 months, in 6 months, in a yes. year. And I mean as we're 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 doing this work and I I feel you cuz I I have those doubts sometimes too. And I, everybody does, you know, it's just very human um for us to 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 doubt sometimes but have no doubt that you are making an impact and this work is creating a ripple effect that is just going to keep going and going and reverberating and, and echoing it's just you and your whole team and everybody on it so i'm really happy to be a part of it absolutely brother well hey man before i get any more emotional um I, I miss you like crazy, but I love you, but I want to honor your time. But hey, so yeah. what I'm going to do for our listeners is we are going to, we're going to sign out and we're going to leave you listening to the song one minute. So um, you can download this on iTunes, correct, Mark? Yeah, you can. My, my Bandcamp page is markmedley.bandcamp.com. You can download it there, but I will just tell you name a music platform and it's there it's on itunes on spotify whichever one somebody uses i can pretty much guarantee that they can find it on there yeah and the way in the in the video for one minute is on youtube and yep. it is on, on our website also so oh, yeah. you can head over to any and you can be able to see the, the video there also but hey mark it has been a pleasure catching up with you i'm so glad we were able to make this happen for our listeners i think you you got a chance to to connect with a, ma a, a major impactor in education and just a great human being so for our listeners hey thanks for tuning in we'll connect with you next time Hey, thanks for staying after the episode. Here is the song One Minute by Mark Medley. Cup was full before he got to school And then he showed up late Looking like a fool He had drool on his chin From waking up late And an aching in his belly Cause he barely ever ate The clothes he wore Were straight off the floor There was an odor Pretty hard to ignore Before he goes to class He got a show ID But he lost it Five dollar penalty He just wants to sit down And take a deep breath Forget about his dad Locked up for meth But his homework Once again he forgot And the teacher Gotta put him right on the spot Like where's it at? Why is it late? How come you can never keep nothing straight? And he don't want to debate, but he gets defensive. Says a couple things you could call offensive. But just like that, kicked out of class. And that's one more class he might never pass. Told he can come back when he's ready to learn. But what's he gonna learn if he doesn't return? He'll learn being by himself is much less demanding. No failure and no reprimanding. It also ingrains his understanding. Adults in his life will just keep on stranding him on his own. Keep leaving him alone. If he wanted neglect, he could have just stayed home. But he came to school and he wants to grow. He's been through things no one should have to know. Now I'm not saying his behavior should be tolerated but a little compassion is appreciated teaching is hard and we get frustrated but so much harder when we're separated one smile one minute and let him know you're there and that he's not alone in it he looks tough but he's not this chat you give
plus two was like 25, what would you do? Probably teach, reteach, and then teach again. But if the kid talks back, then the lesson ends. We send them home, three day suspension. Call it discipline, but it lacks dimension. Completely ineffective in the way of prevention. Provides no process for ascension. Dissension, reinforced daily basis. Detention, administered, stuck in stasis. Think if we ministered true solutions. What would that do to our evolution? Restorative practice, revolution. Healing what hurts, purify the pollution. Some like to say that the system's broken. That doesn't really help with no suggestions spoken. There's people working hard from the inside out that the media never says much about. They report the mess and never the success because people doing well doesn't so much press. They stress the kid that got incarcerated but not the at risk that graduated. They never show his mom's face so elated because the news is negatively saturated. So teachers try to stay positive. Learn to let it go and then to forgive. There's quite a few kids that are counting on you and there's so many sides to the job you do. You're an innovator, a co-creator, a mentor and a collaborator. Your classroom's a magical incubator. Giving nourishment and there's nothing greater. One smile, one minute, and let him know you're there and that he's not alone in it. He looks tough, but he's not. This chance you give him might be all that he's got. He needs some more. Give him some more. Steinbeck once said that I have come to believe that a great teacher is a great artist and that there are as few as there are any other great artists. Teaching might even be the greatest of the arts since the medium is the human mind and spirit. What kind of artist do you want to be?